My name is Felicia Danani. Hi, and I'm Shivani Malhotra. As two Indian women, one born in the U.S. and one born in India, and both of us from culturally charged backgrounds, we came into our marriages with the intention not to fail. But when we were faced with reality, we had to look inward. Our motive is to deconstruct generational cycles and conditioning around divorce. Divorce is not an ending, but a change in the relationship. It does not have to follow old stigmas. It can be whatever you want it to be based on your intention. This is our life guide to a conscious divorce. Welcome to the Lioness Pride podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lioness Pride podcast. So last week, we talked about expectations and taking responsibility for our actions when it comes to divorce or maybe ending in relationships. So today we have another exciting episode that is really going to help in maybe aiding in that process and how we actually get there. I'm so excited to introduce two very special guests, Jim and Lynette Babe. Together, they're the regional co-directors in North America for six seconds which is the Emotional Intelligence Network leading the way in bringing emotional intelligence concepts and processes to people all across the globe in a simple yet very powerful way. If you are interested to know more, please visit the sixseconds.org website and we'll also have more details for you at the end of this podcast. And if you haven't already guessed, they're also husband and wife. So as a successful business owner for 30 years, Jim speaks the language of CEOs and uses this personal experience to connect with decision makers in the business arena. With Jim's extensive training in spiritual direction, emotional and spiritual intelligence coaching, and a professional certified coach, he manages the six seconds preferred partners in North America and assists in the training and coaching in this region. Now, with her 25 years experience in healthcare technology, Lynette blends science and business acumen as well as coaching expertise as a master trainer for six seconds. She is also a professional certified coach and is certified in both emotional and spiritual intelligence coaching. Lynette has a master's in business administration and a master certificate in lean Six Sigma. Wow, this was, this is already exciting. So um, welcome to the Lioness Pride podcast. We're very glad to be here with you both. (laughs) Thank you, Felicia. Such a pleasure to have you both. And I've had the privilege of working with both Lynette and Jim with Six Seconds in their amazing programs. So that's how I know of both of you. And um, We have so much we want to ask you and so much we want to dive into. So I just want to get started right away with our first question. And it starts with actually something on the Six Seconds website. Um, What if one billion people were practicing emotional intelligence around the world? How would our relationships look different, Um, especially with our significant others? What would it look like and how do you guys see Uh, that scope for improvement using some of these emotional intelligence skills that you guys are so proficient with. Jim, why don't you start us and then I'll chime in. 
I think that one of the most important things about emotional intelligence is being smarter with feelings. That's what it is, being smarter with feelings, being able to interpret our feelings to make our logical decisions. Because a lot of times when we interpret our feelings, we might not be doing it to the best level for ourselves and the people around us. And we have a lot of misunderstandings because we might be interpreting those emotions wrong. So Lynette. So I think for me in a nutshell, the world would be a better place if a billion people were practicing the skills of emotional intelligence because each of us would recognize not only are we alone the center of the universe, but also that everyone else around us is equally important, not to the exclusion of ourselves. So is this part, the part where we connect logic, the head with the heart? Could we say that the emotions are connecting more with the language of the heart in a way? It's the heart and the head. So neither is less important, but both together are where we really get the biggest bang for our buck in emotional intelligence. And do you find that people are more predominant in one or the other? And if so, what keeps us in that space? Like what keeps us from having that balance? Jim, I'll take a crack and then we'll let you chime in. So each of us has um, things and ways of processing information that our brains prefer. It does not mean we can't pick up some of that other data. So if you think of both cognitive data and emotional data, when we get all of that data, we really have much more to go on when we're making decisions and in our relationships. But some of us have a bent toward one or the other. It might be our brains are more comfortable with cognitive data or our brains might be more comfortable noticing emotional data first. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. I think that there is a um, something that we get confused by. We think we're one or the other. We think we might be this. We think we might be that. And what and what it is is actually we are a composite of four or five different things. Like we could be a physical person. We could be an emotional person. We could be a mental type person. We could be whatever. And what do you want to lead with? What do you want to be? Uh, to be most comfortable. And some of us do that with emotions and some of us do that with the cognitive. Now, with that said, that seems like a no-brainer. How do we exercise those other areas that we need to to be that complete person? And we do that by training. We do that by practice. It's not something that we can go to a two-hour training and we're proficient in, in logically looking at things or logic or emotionally looking at things. We have to practice. We have to be part of a process. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that point that emotions, you know, emotional intelligence is something that we can learn because I think that gives people a lot of hope with whatever situation they may be going through and they feel that, that it's too much to handle and they don't know how to, how to deal with it. Having, knowing that there are things that they can do. And we haven't been taught this, I think, in school, growing up. You know, we, I don't think we've, we've been exposed to this sort of an education to know what those skills are. So I really um, love the work that Six Seconds is doing to, to make that more available to people all over the world. And I think it's such beautiful work. And so 
for a lot of our listeners, um, there might be people that are going through challenges within relationships. So whether they're um, thinking of, of separating or going through a divorce or wherever they might be, but let's just say having challenges in their relationships. What is maybe some of the tools that you guys offer or even some concepts that um, you might be able to advise on to help them get through this difficult time when they're kind of struggling with what their mind is telling them and their heart? Um, And how does emotional intelligence play a part? I kind of also feel what happens when what you, what the emotional intelligence is goes against what we call our belief system or what we've been taught to do. And how do you break that? Where is that come in play? Can I uh, talk about that, Lynette? And do do, do I have your permission to tell a story? Yes, you do. (laughs) So let's, let's talk about relationship problems. Okay. So does everybody um, know that we are sarcastic with each other? We do sarcasm, right? Yes. And we, as a society, don't think that sarcasm is bad because it's fun. It's, we laugh. Everybody around us laughs. <laughs> and um, Lynette and I, uh, at one point, were incredibly good at sarcasm. We could drop a dime on each other without any problems. So we also led a lot of um, group um, encounter groups, okay? And this was before we were married. And uh, we were being sarcastic with each other. And there was 25 people in this room. And this was, an, this was an aha for me about relationships. And it's profound. I said something because I was being witty, because I am so witty. And I was something very sarcastic to Lynette. And she started crying in front of the group that we were working with. 20-some people. I was horrified, embarrassed, sad, and I was truly not sure what to do. So I stopped the meeting. I looked at Lynette and I said, I will never be sarcastic with you again. I made a mistake. I ask you to forgive me. And to the best of my ability, I have learned from an emotional intelligence standpoint, a spiritual intelligence standpoint, that sarcasm kills relationships. Lynette, if you don't mind me asking, what was it about that moment? Because from what Jim just mentioned, it seemed like this had happened before and it's something you guys had between you. So what was it about that moment that made it feel too much? Uh, As I recall, I was uh, still in another relationship that was not going well. And so there were patterns of behavior and response that I had from all of my life up until that point, because I hadn't yet really learned to practice emotional intelligence. I knew about it. I studied about it in grad school, but I didn't know how to practice it. And at that moment, it elicited the same kind of response that I had that was no longer working well for me. So it triggered a pattern of behavior and a pattern of response that was sort of in the brain, it's that comfortable thing that we've done so many times, and it's the automatic response. Only this time, it was clear for me that I couldn't keep doing this and allowing these things to run off anymore. My cup of tolerance for that kind of thing was full, which was part of the beginning of the 
the signals to me that I was in trouble, if you will, to use that term, and needed to look at the rest of my life and see what other changes were really going to be necessary for me to be who I was created to be, not someone else's desire of what my life should look like. Wow, thank you so much for that. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. I had another question. How has this emotional intelligence work strengthened all those areas that you were just mentioning, you know, especially that place in us that just reacts because of patterns that you mentioned um, versus responding. And I think this happens so much in relationships where we're stuck in our patterns. And many a times people don't know how that they even have a pattern or how, what, how to get out of it. So can you just shed some light about patterning and what, what, what are steps people can take? How, how can they move beyond that to responding in a, in a way that works? Sure, Shivani. Jim, did you want to start? Or? I, 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 this is one other time that I'd like to, if I can. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> we get into habits with how we act with each other. And we take each other for granted because we're always there with each other. We, we have different job responsibilities in the relationship and different other things that we do to help each other out and travel and navigate. But here's, here's one of the things that works for me. When I see us starting to go sideways, and, you know, I'm sure we're the only two people on this podcast uh, and the people listening to go sideways, but I'm going to use us as an example. And when we go sideways, here's what I do. I start visualizing when we got married. And we were sitting on the back porch. We were standing on the back porch with some close friends getting married of this cabin that we owned in the beautiful mountains of a place in Ohio. And I remember her crying and wearing this flower in her ear, hair, and me crying and recognizing that this person was meant to be on the journey with me. And why am I acting this way? And that's an emotional response to the things that we're talking about. This is a um, emotional pattern recognition. My behavior was not working for me and or Lynette. It's so interesting that you say it like that too. So part of it is when we find ourselves getting too much in our logical and let's say controlling patterns, it's to bring it back to the emotion of the why, or we've talked about in other episodes, our noble goal, if we're talking about separation. Am, am I hearing you correctly? Yes. Okay. And, and if I was, um, let's use Shivani as an example, since I know her. And when I see her face pop up on a Zoom, I smile. That's an emotional response because I like her. I get along with her. We have good conversations and it's important to me. If I had to get on a a call with somebody or a Zoom or in person that I didn't like, I would close down emotionally. I would contract. So Lynette, did you want to jump in there for some of that? I think the, the shortcut for me, particularly when these patterns show up, is I go right to this question of what do you truly want here? 
So in the six seconds model of emotional intelligence, the practice really boils down to three questions. One is, what am I feeling? Two is, what options do I have? And three is, what do I truly want? And when it's in the heat of the moment, I'll often just shortcut to write, okay, what do you truly want here? Because we have something we call the six seconds pause. So if we can do some rational activity that helps us really get to that point and not go into the patterned response, then we can make an intentional choice. And so for me, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know that cycle. Okay, but yes, what do I truly want here? Which is part of that why. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And what a quick way to take us out of the heat of the moment and bring us back to what the essence is. But you, but you have to really want to do that. Right. That's easier said than done. <laughs> you, have to, you have to make a conscious choice to do that. Right. Right. Yes. Which is why emotions are, the emotional intelligence is a practicing kind of response. The more we practice, the easier it gets to, to recognize it. We call that being hijacked. Okay. So if you get hijacked, you got to understand that you have a very short window to change the outcome. Oh, okay. Very interesting. I like that. Hmm. So what are some things that people can do? Because you said, said there's a very short window before you can come back to that place, before you just no. absolutely just lose it and go off <laughs> to a different world where it's going to take you forever. What do we do in the hijack? <laughs> very important question. Well, I'll start with that one because I've had a lot of practice with the hijack. Um, that six seconds pause that I mentioned. So some of the things that you can do that bring your cognitive, it doesn't, it's not quite as simple or linear, but figuratively thinking, speaking of bringing your cognitive brain online or to the fore while you're in the midst of this emotional reaction. Um, I learned to say the seven dwarves in alphabetical order. Um, when, when that stopped working because it became too easy, and first of all, you have to look them up because most people walking around do not know what they are, let alone alphabetize them. Um, I, sometimes when I was driving, I would go through the multiplication tables. And it, it's, it's a period of like four to seven seconds before the neurochemical of the emotion itself subsides. It's affecting every cell in our body. And when, when we're done with that point, and we've made a choice, then now we're back with intention. If we just go to that comfortable pattern, we're off to the races. So that takes a lot of awareness, right? Because firstly, you have to be aware that that's happening. Secondly, you have to be aware that you need to shift your attention to something else and maintain it for a reasonable amount of time. And then you have some hope. <laughs> really not that long I yeah. mean, it sounds very quick and it is but it's a right. point I can choose when I realize that what I'm the results I'm getting are not those that I really want there's likely a pattern there somewhere that I maybe want to start looking for so I wanted to ask this question in the spiritual world, there's this notion that, you know, we shouldn't allow somebody else's mood or emotions to affect us because that's their stuff. Yet in reality, that's really, really hard to do. Um, 
If someone is in a situation where their partner lacks those tools, these emotional tools and self-awareness, and they're very much in this reactionary state. So even if, say, one person is trying to do the six seconds, but the other person is not, and, you know, they're constantly pulling you out of that place, is it possible not, firstly, not to be affected by somebody else's feelings? And how does one begin to navigate those situations and draw some healthy boundaries um, in a situation like that? Uh, it's interesting you bring that up like that. Um, my noble goal is to love people unconditionally while maintaining healthy boundaries. Now, why did I come up with a noble goal like that? Because I used to go into prison and I used to work with maximum security inmates and death row inmates. And I did that noble goal because of being affected by their emotions and having to practice can I look at somebody that has done something that they maybe shouldn't have done and still care about them in spite of the fact that they did something horrific? Now, with a person that's in your life, a close person, a spouse, a child, a parent, or whatever, can you look at that person and realize that there's more than one thing going on at the same time? They did something that hurt your feelings. They made you angry. You still love them. You still have to be in a relationship with them. What this is called is having more than one truth in the same space at the same time. It's not a yes or no, a black and white, an up and down, an in and out. And recognizing that us responding in a certain way means that it's our emotions that are responding to what somebody's doing. Can we look at what might be behind what the other person's doing? And you know how you do that, Shivani? How do I look behind? Can you ask me that question again? Yeah. How can you look behind what the other person is doing to try to get an understanding of what's going on? Empathy. Empathy. And asking questions that are filled with empathy. Lynette likes to ask me a question when I get angry, which isn't very often. But when I do, she says, what do you need right now? Mm-hmm. What's going on right now? She doesn't sit there and say, you're bad. You failed me. You're this, you're that. What do you need from me right now? That helps me to calm down as an example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is another call to remember or me personally, that EQ starts on the inside. And I was working on something for uh, another talk that I'm going to be giving in a couple of months and researching some of Viktor Frankl's quotes. And, And I've often heard the end of this, but the beginning of it, I wasn't familiar with. He says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And then the next part we most of us are familiar with, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Wow. Yeah. Very powerful. So I want to ask, bringing this kind of back into romantic relationships or couples, 
there seems to be today um, a lot of battle between egos and control and power. And if, you know, again, it's kind of an imbalance of both masculine and feminine and how both the men and women, um, no matter what type of relationship it is, um, how they balance those energies within themselves. So my question would be, how can we create more harmony between our masculine and feminine energies um, between us and how that translates to other people? And how does society then also contribute to these imbalances? Oh, that's a uh, four and a half week training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Very, I go to the training course. Very loaded question. <laughs> Well, great. What course do you have that can help us with this? Because this is absolutely a big thing out there. So <laughs> point us to it. Jim, can I start with a story? Yeah. One of the um, patterns that I had was not standing up for myself. Being relation in relationship with a former CEO and discovering my own personal bit of empowerment has helped me with that. We, we actually have a spiritual coach that we see and she will say, I love hearing you stand right up to him. And so that balance, I think for us, we've found that for ourselves together. I think it's also important that each of us find it within ourselves. Mm. Um, I think that takes emotional intelligence and some spiritual intelligence when we really look at who we are, how do we connect with ourselves before we connect with others in relationship and even in at larger with the world. So for me, it's, it's, there's a little bit of optimism and emotional intelligence, competency of optimism and being able to see more than one option rather than feeling backed into a corner, realizing that I can create other options for myself when it maybe initially appears that I can only do A or B. And in that empowerment of creating the options and then having a greater pool of choices, the balance of where I need to be in that moment, whether it's, you know, what's the blend of the feminine and masculine energy I need to bring mm -hmm. in that moment, in the relationship, at work, with other people. Jim, what would you add to that? Well, to put a little bit of a, a circle around it, uh, I'm sure that most of your people on the podcast are familiar with the Tao. And the Tao is that space that holds the yin and the yang. And there's a saying, well, there's many sayings, but there's a saying that says, the masculine is hard and rigid like bamboo. And when a storm comes, it stands up to the storm, but it is broken at its base and it falls down into the forest. The feminine is soft and supple like a blade of grass. And when the storm comes, the blade of grass gently lays down until the storm passes. And when the sun comes up, the blade of grass comes back up and is one with the world. And I think that we um, all, men and women, have both masculine and feminine inside of us. And we need to be very clear on what is being called for and what we need to do at a particular time. Mm -hmm. And I think we get that message confused. 
Sometimes we need to be masculine. Sometimes we need to be feminine energy. And in case, I think the um, reading the Tao, the Tao Te Ching, would be very helpful for many people. Jim, what do you have to say about the messaging that young boys and men receive about emotions, expressing their emotions? Um, is there even space for that as a masculine? And yeah, I mean, I've, I've just, what's your thing? Well, we have, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of stereotypes and archetypes that are telling us boys and men that we have to behave in a certain way. And we're not helping ourselves by watching all these action movies and all these extreme sports and all these whatevers. We are seeing that our, our machismo, our strength, our good looks, our ability to do, you know, 500 sit-ups without breathing, um, and on and on and on and on. Uh, is very important because we are told repetitively by um, commercials, by people around us, that it's important to look and act a certain way. I believe very strongly that there are some younger generations that are coming along that are sort of rejecting that notion. They're starting to look at life a little bit differently, a little bit more balanced, a little bit more yin and yang. Because uh, what I will tell you, and I, I'm a baby boomer, and baby boomers were known for being very strong and very in your face and all of the things that I just mentioned. That's not working for the younger generations. They're trying to find their way with their identity and what they believe and how do they, they do all this stuff and have the kind of relationships they want to have. And it's not about money. Money we need, yes. But it's about how we look into the eyes of the people that are in our lives. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. I think that, it, it, you know, in, in both of you being in an industry of transformation, it's exciting to hear that um, that there is that shift happening with the younger generations. Um, and I, I see like also the pull from older generations going, well, if men get that way, what will happen to business? What will happen to all these what so quote unquote male dominated industries? And I guess this circles back to the very first question we asked you, which is on your site. What would happen if men and leaders and CEOs and you guys being in that world, what would happen if we all practiced that emotional intelligence? Do you see any sort of crippling or is it really just that internal strength blooming from within? I think that's, I think there's another question you could ask. Okay. I don't think, I don't think it's about crippling. Okay. I think it's about change. I don't think it's going to cripple. I think it's going to show up differently. I think the way that the world used to run is not going to run the same way in the future. It's an expectation that we have that everything's going to remain the same. We don't have a choice. That train has left the station. And it's a good thing. I am so excited to see what the younger people are starting to do and the directions they're going. We need that change. 
And I think it actually opens the door for each of us to be truly who we are, whether it's in the corporate world, in the personal world, wherever that is, when we can each operate from the authentic center of who we are, connected with ourselves, and also realizing that we need connection with the other people, business will thrive. I love that. And I, I, I mean, it, it's exciting to hear that. It really is. And uh, yes, so to have a really healthy, blossoming relationship, it really does take two hands to clap at the end of the day. Um, what can couples start doing today to increase the love, intimacy, and connection between them? I know we've spoken a lot, but could you maybe leave us with a short practice or a take-home exercise that um, we all could start doing today to, like Jim said, we're in a new place in, in human history. We're at this tipping point and, you know, we need tools and we need to know what we can do to make a different choice and to make better choices. All right. So I, I can start this and I'll frame it. And then Lynette, if you would, would you mind talking about what the frame looks like? So, one of the things that happens in coaching is uh, we listen to people talking and we listen with generous listening. And that's different than active listening. And when you're generously listening, you hear things and you ask people, how can you reframe that? Because, you know, you said, Felicia, that it's going to be crippling. I said, maybe it could be something else. How do we reframe our thinking when we're in relationships? Is it really negative that somebody else has a different opinion? Not really. But we frame it in a way that says, why do you do that? What's wrong with you? Or whatever, whatever, whatever. So I would say that reframing is a tool that Lynette can put some parameters around that people can take home with them. Thanks, Jim. So taking a bit of the six seconds practice of EQ, that coming back to the, what do I truly want in this situation, um, allowed me to open that up and expand it a bit more, specifically in terms of a practice to leave with the listeners today. And so to reframe, that means I'm going to change the lens with which I'm looking at, at something. It, it's still there, whatever that is. But on a practical level, there are four questions that I can ask when I'm in a situation where maybe Jim and I feel like we're going sideways or with a work colleague or any type of conversation where it doesn't feel like we're in alignment. I feel like we're off. Maybe I'm not sure what my needs are and the needs of the other person and where those are. It's almost feeling like they're starting to collide. And the first question is, what do I need? in this situation. So just as Jim mentioned, that is a very important starting place for me to realize that if there's some need of my own that I can meet, my, my level set will be more calm entering whatever subsequent situation comes up. But what do I need in this situation? And then as best I can offer empathy, what does the other person need? You know, from whatever I can observe, maybe I can't ask them, Maybe I can, but if I can't, I can still, all right, what do I think they may need from me right now? And then that question, what do I truly want? 
what do I want here? And then what can I give that allows me to still come from my authentic center without giving up myself in a way that doesn't feel true to me. So what do I need in this situation? What does the other person need in this situation? What do I truly want? And what can I give? Wow, that's that's fantastic. I I mean, I already know situations I have to practice this in right now. <laughs> or I should say with certain people. Um, because it's quick to, to fall into old patterns. So um, I know for me, I'm going to practice it with someone in particular to really help reframe um, the situation on how I take it and how I see it. So thank you both so much for that. And thank time you for one more question, Felicia. Oh, yeah. okay. Yes, go ahead. I Absolutely. Think, I think just maybe one more question, and this is leading from our podcast the previous week, which was all about expectations that people have when they go into a relationship of the other person. Hmm. And I really wanted to touch on this before it just came back to my mind. I'm like, I have to ask you this because I feel so many times we go into relationships with these unrealistic expectations of another human being. And then we get so disappointed when they don't perform according to the way we want them to perform. So again, what can we do with these expectations? And, and obviously we have needs like Lynette was mentioning, and it's important to, to honor our needs, but where's that line between too many expectations of a person and needs that are genuine to, to your authenticity? Go ahead, Jim. I can tell you're just bursting to, to chime in there. Well, since we're on a podcast talking about relationships, I'm going to get down and dirty. So uh, there is a lust phase of every relationship. When we meet somebody and we get together, we have a year or two years of lust that helps blind us to all the things that the other person is doing. And our expectations are being met and the world is revolving and the sun is shining. And the reason that we have a lust phase is to help us realize that some of the expectations we have for that person may not ever be realized. And the other ones may need to be adjusted. And as an example, and this is an easy example, the men tend to put toilet paper on the roll upside down so it comes down underneath. Women traditionally want it to go over the top. You know, women traditionally don't want men to use their towels. Men tend to use all the towels. They're, we leave hair everywhere. Women don't like that. So my point, and those were very simple examples. How do we, how do we um, use this phase of just getting together to recognize that the things that we fell in love with are still there? Or the, the, the things that we had uh, expected may need to be compromised. Because it's not an absolute truth that it has to happen. I kept that PG, Shivani. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I would also add that the, what I'm looking for in, in my partner or in that relationship is largely going to be dependent on what I perceive are reasonable expectations. 
And when I realize whatever my list of reasonable expectations is, it's based on my past. It's not based on this person in front of me. Am I looking for them to make up some things that I feel lacking in? Or am I doing my own work, even in the context of a relationship? Oh, honey, thank you. (laughs) Because it's only then that I can adjust my expectations to the real world and not expect Superman to be the one that I'm sharing my life with. (laughs) Breathe, breathe. (laughs) The the funny part about this is, and I don't know how many of your people on the podcast know about the Enneagram, and that is a very interesting way of a personality type indicator. And on the Enneagram, I'm an eight, and that's a two. And an eight is very direct. I bet you can't tell that. And Lynette walks gently through the world. And we complement each other. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Well, we'll have to go take. So is the ideogram, it's a test. Can people find that online? Yep. And there's free tests. Okay. Very nice. Well, we'll have to check that out. Now, um, Jim and Lynette, can you let our listeners know how they can find you, connect with you, maybe um, if there's anything about the uh, about your program specifically that you would like to share with them? I think probably the biggest thing is if you're interested in just exploring um, what some of emotional intelligence is, we have several free programs that are available at sixseconds.org. And there's a listing of upcoming events if you hover um, at the top of the website. So some of those you can just kind of taste what EQ looks like. We call it emotional intelligence. Really, it's the EQ, the quotient, the measure thereof. Um, And then if you're interested in really beginning to practice for yourself and are considering certification, we have a beginning course called Unlocking EQ that's offered monthly. You'll see those dates and times on the websites as well. Beyond that, uh, Jim's available. and He has a Calendly link that he uses And so our emails are simply our names, Lynette, L-Y-N-E-T-T-E dot Vave, V as in Victor, A-I, V as in Victor, E, at numeral six and the word seconds dot org. And Jim's is similar, Jim dot Vave at six seconds dot org. Jim, would you add something there? You did a wonderful job, honey. We want to thank you both so much. I am, I mean, this, a lot of this and emotional intelligence um, as a practice in this form is new to me. Um, I've studied a lot of other modalities that incorporate it, but it's nice to hear it in a very um, specific oriented way um, and have tools to practice that. So thank you both so much for um, sharing with us and everybody join us next week. Um, We will continue to dive in into conscious um, coupling, uncoupling, parenthood, everything. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank Thank you. you.